the service. Today is the second week of Advent and so today we are going to be focusing on the theme of peace. I just want to remind you that our Christmas Eve service this year is going to be only online. So that's it for now. Enjoy the rest of the service and have a wonderful day. God bless. It was what the prophet Micah would call the least among the clans of Judah, south of Jerusalem, west of the Salt Sea. Heads of wheat bowed to the blades of harvest, grapes glistened in the afternoon sun, sheep stumbled along the stony high grounds. Here Jacob would gain a son and bury his beloved Rachel. Ruth would find refuge in the barley fields. Samuel would find a king among the shepherds. Shepherds would find a king among the sheep. Soon the tramp of soldiers' feet would fill the silence. Mothers would mourn the lost sons of Bethlehem. The holiness of one night in the little town would be stolen by the sword. But all was not lost. One would survive. Like Ruth, he would wander without a home. Like Boaz, he would provide bread for those in need. Like David, he would come from a humble beginning. Like the children who were lost, he would be pierced by a sword. And through the innocence of his death, this son of Bethlehem would become our peace. Yeah. 
Good morning. Our reading today is from Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Hello, everyone. One of my favorite Christmas carols is I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. It was written by Henry Longfellow, an American poet, who wrote it as a poem, which is now a carol, on Christmas Day in 1863. Longfellow was no stranger to loss and pain. Approximately 30 years earlier, his first wife, Mary, miscarried their child and within a short time died of complications herself. Approximately 26 years later, his second wife, Frances, died in a house fire. She was sealing an envelope with wax when the candle caught her dress on fire. Longfellow was sleeping in the next room and though he tried his best, he was not able to save her and it was too late. She died of her burns and he was scarred for life. In 1863, the year he wrote the poem, the American Civil War was raging. His son Charles had secretly joined the army and subsequently was seriously wounded. You will notice that the poem follows a pattern. It starts with the stereotypical Christmas where peace is emphasized and then it leads to the reality of despair because of circumstances that in turn destroys peace and then ends with a renewed sense of peace because the author finds comfort in the fact that God is ultimately in control. I believe that this poem speaks to our reality today. While we are surrounded with the stereotypical images of Christmas, the reality of the pain in our world and in our lives cause us at times to experience a lack of peace. This is the second Sunday of Advent and the theme that we are focusing on today is peace. Today we're going to consider the angel's appearance to Joseph in a dream. Because of Mary's pregnancy and perceived unfaithfulness, Joseph decided to divorce her. We will be reminded today, even though our circumstances plunge us into disappointment 
and despair, we find peace when we are reminded that God is in control. The first part of our story involves disappointment. Matthew's account of the Christmas story opens with telling us how it all came about. We are immediately introduced to Mary and Joseph and the complexity of their relationship at this time. Mary and Joseph are engaged to be married, and as we mentioned last week, engagement in biblical times was different than it is now. To fully understand the implications of this, we need to understand the customs of the day. Often parents would choose a wife for their son because she would become a part of their family, a part of their clan, if you will. They desired that it be someone who would fit in with the mother, who would fit in with the other daughter-in-laws, who would fit in with the family as a whole. Sometimes the son could provide input, but the final decision belonged with the parents. In this culture at this time, people married young. The legal minimum age was 13 years old for boys and 12 years old for girls. A dowry was provided to the father of the bride equal to the loss of a worker because in marrying off his daughter, he would indeed be losing a worker. Sometimes services could be exchanged for money, and we see that in the Old Testament where Jacob worked for a period of time to earn the right to marry Rachel. After the agreement was reached, the couple would be declared to be engaged. During the engagement, the groom prepared a place to live, often building onto the family home, and the bride prepared herself for household duties. During their engagement, they were referred to as husband and wife even though the marriage had not yet been consummated. The engagement was legally binding. It could only be broken by death or divorce. On the wedding day, the groom and his friends would go to the bride's house, dressed in their finest clothes to get the bride. She would then be brought to the prepared home and the marriage would be official with a celebration to follow. In this situation though, there's a problem. Mary was pregnant and we know it was a result of a miracle of God. She had been chosen to be the mother of the Messiah. Now, obviously, when Joseph found out that she had become pregnant, his whole world crumbled because he assumed that she had committed adultery. It appears as if she had broken their vows, that she had betrayed him, hurt him. She humiliated him, disappointed him. He trusted her and now all his dreams for the future were broken by the very person he loved the most. It didn't matter that she really didn't break the vows. As far as he was concerned, she did. And the pain of betrayal was very real for Joseph. Secondly, we see turmoil. Joseph had a real dilemma on his hands. He was wrestling with the right course of action to take, and he was in turmoil. Normally, the path of action under these circumstances would be clear-cut. He would divorce her. Now, obviously, he could not commit his life to a woman who had already been unfaithful before they were even married. But Joseph's character made this decision difficult. We are told that he was a righteous man. Now, it's important for us to understand what this means. Righteous doesn't mean that he was perfect, 
that he was without sin, that he was holier than everybody else, that he was some kind of spiritual giant, if you will. It literally means to keep God's laws and commands. Joseph was righteous in that he lived his life by God's standards. He was righteous. And because he lived his life by God's standards, it shaped his character, which in turn shaped his actions and his reactions. The normal reaction to this situation would be retaliation, to hurt her back, to make her pay, to humiliate her because of what she had done to him. But his godly character would not allow him to react with pure emotions, retaliating for the pain that she caused. While he had every right to be angry, to be hurt and disappointed, his character dictated kindness, not hurt. If he married her anyway, despite her perceived infidelity, it would appear as an admission that he was responsible for the pregnancy. The law made provision for an adulterer to be publicly stoned to death because adultery was such a big deal. Our scripture says that he was unwilling to disgrace her publicly. In other words, he was unwilling to take delight in her being punished. The law also provided a means for a private, quiet divorce that didn't involve public humiliation. Because Joseph was a kind and godly man, he decided that this was the route that he would take. It was not an easy choice, but he believed it was the right choice. And making the right choice, settling on what he would do, gave him a sense of peace, even though he was deeply disappointed. The third thing we see in this story is peace. Joseph decided to do what made sense to him, what he felt was the right thing to do. But the truth is, he didn't understand everything that was going on. So God, who was responsible for this whole situation in the first place, intervened by sending an angel, a messenger, to speak to Joseph in a dream. The angel told Joseph to not be afraid, fear not, Now, I believe the angel said these words for two reasons. I mean, number one, clearly, when an angel comes in the middle of the night and talks to you in a vision, it's scary. So he's trying to put Joseph at ease. But secondly, Joseph's decision to divorce Mary was very much connected to fear. He was afraid of what others would think. He was afraid to trust Mary in the future. He was afraid of Mary's potential fate. He was afraid of his future. The angel informed him that Mary was indeed telling the truth, that the child was a miracle of God, that Joseph was to stay with her, marry her, and not be afraid. The messenger of God said some things to help convince Joseph to stay with Mary. First, he called him Joseph, the son of David. Genealogy was very important to the Jews. Without genealogy, one could not prove their right to their inheritance, their family position. Matthew begins his gospel with tracing the genealogy of Jesus because it was prophesied that the Messiah would come through the lineage of David. 
And so the angel reminded Joseph that he was from the line of David, helping him to see that he was a part of something far greater than he could have ever imagined. Secondly, the angel said the baby's name would be Jesus, which means the salvation of God, because he, the child, would save his people from their sins. Joseph would be very familiar with the prophecies regarding the coming salvation of Israel, the Messiah. The angel was connecting the dots that this child, this child that Mary was carrying, was the long-awaited one. Matthew informs us that all of this took place to confirm the prophecy of Isaiah that a virgin would give birth and a child would be Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph awoke, he immediately did what the angel had commanded of him. He took Mary home to be his wife. His disappointment and his turmoil were turned to peace because he now understood that God was in control despite how things appeared. There are two observations that I would like to draw from our scripture today. The first is response. I believe that it would be safe to say that all of us have been deeply hurt and disappointed by the actions or perceived actions of others at some point in our lives. When we experience disappointment and hurt, we face a dilemma of grace. What should we do? What should we expect? How should the person responsible be held accountable, perhaps even punished? We struggle in our response sometimes because we want to make those who have hurt us pay for what they have done. We struggle sometimes because of what others are going to think of us in light of what others have done. We struggle because we want something to be made right that we're not sure can ever be made right. Our struggle with how to respond appropriately will often rob us of peace. As followers of Jesus, how we respond to others who have disappointed us, who have let us down, who have hurt us, who perhaps have even betrayed us, is shaped by the grace that we have experienced in our own lives. Those who are recipients of God's grace should be more inclined to demonstrate God's grace to others. In fact, the Bible tells us that those who do not forgive others have not really received God's forgiveness for themselves. Now, that doesn't mean that what we have experienced, you know, should hurt us less. It means that God's grace in our lives shapes how we demonstrate grace to others. It's important to understand that by demonstrating grace, it doesn't mean that we shouldn't hold people accountable for their actions. That's not what we're saying. People need to be confronted when they do wrong, when they hurt us, when they need to repent for what they did and the wrongs that they have done. They need to understand that their actions have damaged the relationship, the trust, and the future. But like Joseph, there is a peace that comes by doing the right thing, even though it doesn't change the fact that we've been disappointed and hurt. And the second point, reminder. 
for most of us, life often turns out different than we hoped it would, than we planned for it to, than we ever dreamed it would. But that doesn't mean that life is hopeless. God is the master of bringing good out of a bad situation. God reminded Joseph that what had appeared to be hopeless, well, was not really hopeless at all. God reminded Joseph that even though he had experienced deep pain and disappointment, he, God, was very much at work in Joseph's life, and he was in control, even though everything seemed to be out of control. I believe that God wants to remind us today of the same thing. Your life may be filled with disappointment and pain. Your life may be a long way from where you set out for it to be. It may appear to be completely hopeless. But God wants to remind you today that he has a plan for you. And his plan is unfolding despite how things appear. Your life is not hopeless because God is at work and God is in control. We don't have to be afraid of the future. We don't have to be afraid of the perception and disappointment of others. We don't have to fear the changes or the circumstances that we are facing because God has a plan and he's in control. Folks, Emmanuel is still Emmanuel. God is still with us. We are never alone. We all have a choice to make today. Are we willing to trust God or not? Do we believe that our lives, our future is secure in him or not? Peace comes when we accept that God has a plan and he is in control. In conclusion today, I want to remind us, Christmas has always been about peace in the midst of chaos. People we care about will hurt us. They'll disappoint us and let us down. But we can know peace by doing the right thing. Your life may be filled with disappointment and pain. Your life may be a long way from where you set out for it to be. It may appear to be completely hopeless. But God wants to remind you today that he has a plan for you. And his plan is unfolding despite how things appear. Your life is not hopeless because God is at work and God is in control. So even though our circumstances plunge us into disappointment and despair, we find peace when we're reminded that God is in control.
We want to thank you for joining us today. If we can be of assistance to you, please do not hesitate to let us know. Please email us or call us and we'll do what we can to help you as best we can. May God bless you and have a great week.